awesome to get encouraged, isn't it? So great. Hey, as you're seated, reach out to someone you're seated close to and say, hey, guess what? Today's the day. Today's the day. Today's the day, hopefully, that you get really encouraged. You hear something you need to hear. If you're visiting, I'm Scott, and the question I'm going to ask is this. Will we let Jesus be himself with us? The question I ask of you today is, will you let Jesus be himself with you, the real Jesus? It's a valid question because what we know about Jesus is that when he was buried and resurrected from the dead, his father sent his spirit to us, the Holy Spirit. And so it's the spirit of Jesus that, to whom we have to answer the question, will we let Jesus be himself with us? When I first learned about Jesus, I was... Uh, exposed to the fact that when he was arrested in one of his writer's accounts, he actually called down angels to show all those who were trying to arrest him that he had power over them. And they all were uh, thrown back by angels. And I thought, wow, Jesus is powerful. Who is this Jesus? We're going to see today, if you want to start getting ready for where we're going to be, his, uh, his accountant, his financial guy that he recruited, Matthew, gave a detailed account of who Jesus is. And we're going to be in his account, chapter 21, verses 9 through 22, if you want to start looking. This is, this is the beginning, this series, of how Jesus changed the world in seven days. Because it was on a Sunday, we call it uh, um, the triumphal entry, or Palm Sunday, that Jesus began his last week. He began his, his ministry in Jerusalem, which most of the workers that wrote about him, they covered that last week primarily. And uh, it was was epic. (laughs) We're still talking about it. Time Magazine says, doesn't matter what you think about Jesus, he's the most influential person in the world. Who is this Jesus? And are we willing to let him be himself with us? Because what you're going to find today is that the real Jesus, man, he doesn't always make us feel comfortable. His comfort isn't our number one priority. Have any of you already discovered that for some reason? (laughs) But his peace is, and his joy is, and his character in us, high priorities. So in the last week of Jesus, what we have is on Saturday night before the week started, it's recorded by one of his co-workers, Mark, in chapter 10. You don't have to look there. But on Saturday night, Jesus goes into the temple area in in what we have as modern-day Jerusalem. And he peeks in, and he sees that it's late at night. And then he walks away, and he heads towards Bethany, where he spends the night. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, tomorrow, we're going to change the world. Tomorrow, I'm going to do business here in the temple courts that people are going to be talking about for 2,000 years. And he did. Jesus knew last week of his life. What would you do if you only had one week to live? I think that you're going to discover from Jesus is that for Jesus, it's all about people. It's all about being with people. It's not about materialism. It's not about uh, what we have. It's about people. In fact, we have right now going on in our own neighborhood, there's like a car show across the street. So every exotic car you'd ever want uh, has been driving by. Yeah, really, all of them, the, the really nice cars, the Taurus, the Dodge, all that stuff. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's easy to think, well, that's what I want. No, Jesus is saying, no, what you need is me, me. 
That's what you need. You want that, but what you need self with us. That's the question. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at the last week of the life of Jesus. And I want to give parents a heads up. If you have young people in the service, I am going to show a video clip of what some of our churches in this region have been doing in Cambodia. It references sex trafficking. If that language is uncomfortable for you, you have a heads up. It's coming up in about 23 minutes, so you got a heads up. Um, Matthew chapter 21, here it is, the last week of Jesus, how it begins. I'm going to begin in verse 9. Here it is. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. There was chaos. And they asked the question that we're going to answer all month. Say it with me. Who is this? That was their question. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Check this video out. It kind of sets the table of what it was like to have tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? He's a prophet, a great prophet. A prophet? On a donkey? (laughs) So here we are, still talking about him 2,000 years later, and it's because this Jesus was an unexpected revolutionary. No one imagined that his work would eventually lead to the overthrow of the Roman government, uh, that Christianity would become the primary religion of the Roman Empire by 325. No one imagined this guy from Nazareth. What good can ever come from Nazareth? And it did. It came a, an unexpected revolutionary. And typically with a guy like Jesus, we're all about our felt needs. When you're around Jesus, you're thinking of yourself. You're like, hey, uh, I want a piece of this. I want, I, want, I want my needs met. I want the comfort that he offers. And Jesus says, no, it's not about our felt needs. He confronts us with our real need. And our real need is to follow him. The crowds that went ahead of him and all those followed him and shouted. And I just want to begin by asking, Is it possible you're in a season of your life where what Jesus wants more of you than anything is that you'll just obey him, that you'll just trust him, that you'll just follow him. You'll just, you just get in line and do what he says, uh, where you'll say, hey, just say the word. I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to trust you with where I'm at in my life. Is that your season right now of just obeying him? Jesus is this radical revolutionary who says with authority, come and follow me. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, and just trust me. Maybe that describes you. Jesus, the unexpected revolutionary, says that our greatest need is to follow him. How do we do this at Adventure? Really, in such a way where there's some accountability for it, we actually believe that church is about small groups. We want to be a church that is about small groups, not just a church that does groups. Groups like Jesus was in. 
He was in a group with three, and then a group of 12, and then a larger group of 70, and more and more. But he was in a small group where he could have conversations with James, and with John, and with Peter. And we think that when we're in groups, we give his spirit a chance to speak to us. Just a couple weeks ago, I was in a group with a couple men, and we were talking about one of the adventure marks, the marks of a Christian, someone who follows the spirit willingly. And we all said, hey, there's a couple areas in my life that we need to follow in. And we shared what it was over a little meal, made it a little easier. And then we we both said, we're willing to be accountable to follow Jesus in this area. And the next week, we're going to follow up and say, hey, how you doing on that? <laughs> did, you, did you do what you said you wanted to do? And there's, it's not a gotcha or a hand slap. It's like we want to celebrate a win in your life. That's what it means to follow Christ. We do it in groups. The early church did it in groups. If you're not in a group, it may be the reason why you're not feeling connected here because you're not in a group with other Christians that are really growing in their faith together. And if you're interested, go to the lobby. There's an area to sign up. Uh, for groups after service. Jesus, the revolutionary, says, hey, follow me. Maybe that's the next step for you to follow him. Get in a group with some Christians. I know as a kid, I was in a group with some adults that had a major influence in my life, uh, spoke to me directly, and really helped me grow in my faith. Jesus is not just, though, an unexpected revolutionary. He was a redeemer for all nations. Let's continue reading in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Jesus wanted to reach out to all the nations. Judaism had been very uh, Hebrew focused since their exodus in Egypt in about 1300 BC. And yet when they built, when their portable tabernacle in the wilderness became a true temple in Jerusalem in about 970 uh, BC, God's vision for that temple is that it would be a place where people of other religions, other faiths, foreigners could come and worship God. That was God's original vision for the temple, that no one was excluded Everyone was invited. Everyone had access to God. But you know what's happening is these money changers, they're not not evil people. (laughs) They're doing business. Jesus didn't have a problem with them doing business. The problem was where they were doing business. They were doing business where God wanted others to have access to him. They were pursuing personal success where God wanted people to have access And God's vision was that anyone would be able to come to these temple courts and worship him, anybody. And typically when commerce is going on, when there's exchange of money for items, it kind of creates a have and have not group. Even the law taught that some people were able to afford certain sacrifices, and if they couldn't, they were given kind of the minimal sacrifice. Jesus didn't want any haves or have not sacrifices. Uh, experience for worshipers. He wanted everyone to be on the same level ground. Now, if you can see this image from Jerusalem, this is the Western Wall. This is actually, though rebuilt, this is the exact Western Wall of Jesus' era, where the temple would have been on the other side. And it gives you a little sense of what it's like when thousands of people gather to pray. They're all there praying. They're probably Jews, Christians, 
uh, perhaps Muslims from all over the world that go there to pray. Now, can you imagine if business is established there? If people are trading goods and selling? All of a sudden, it becomes kind of polarizing. And it takes away from God wanting to be accessible by everybody. Here's what I wondered. I wondered (laughs) in my personal life, do I do anything personally that creates a barrier where others don't feel like they have access to God? Do, with whom do I do lunch hours? Do I, do I just do lunch hours with people that are like me? Am I willing to, do, to take my lunch with people who have totally contrary views than I do? Maybe contrary views on matters of faith. When's the last time I had, for example, a Sikh in my home for dinner and his family? When's the last time I had a a Buddhist family, or a Muslim family in my home. Now, some of you might think, be thinking, wow, are those people here? Oh, yeah, they are. They're everywhere. When's the last time you gave God, God, gave people access to your life by opening your home, opening your lunch hour to them? And do you ever find yourself maybe subconsciously referencing some of your success subconsciously? Do you ever reference, yeah, that vacation, uh, that car, that new couch, (laughs) in such a way where you're creating a little exclusiveness? (laughs) Maybe I'm the only one. Is there another one? Good, thank you. I needed that. Uh, I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of people accessing God. Now, this is is a little gotcha, but I'm not going to be specific. There are other faiths where you would not be welcome to go to their temple because you're a Christian or you're not of their faith. I think it's really important to reference this narrative as a case in point that Christianity welcomes any faith. No, it's not a gotcha, but it's important to say that we don't exclude participation of any faith in worshiping Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, without, without being uh, polarizing or disrespectful of someone from another faith. The God of the Hebrews 6 or 1 Chronicles. That temple built, you can double check me. It's in uh, uh, 2 Chronicles 6 or 1 Chronicles 6. When that temple was constructed, it was constructed so that foreigners could come and worship. I think that's a big deal. What am I doing in my life that might create a barrier for someone to have access to God? I don't want to get in the way. <laughs> I don't want, it's not about my success. It's about others having access. That's the challenge. The challenge is to go wide in your friendships. Wide. I think always in a city like we live in, it's valuable every two or three years to be developing some new friendships. Here's why. People move so often. (laughs) If you just stuck with your same friends, you'd be friendless. (laughs) Because they're moving. (laughs) Keep building friendships. How do you do that? It's the vision of our church. Do life with your neighbors. Have them over. Cook for them. Wine and dine them. Have a good time with your neighbors. Do life with them. That's the rich life that I want to live. That's the, I shouldn't say that. That's a bad example. That's the, that to me is a high level of well-being. Having great friends, doing life with them. Jesus. Jesus can make us uncomfortable. Are we willing to be to accept Jesus and allow him to be himself in our life? If we are, he's the unexpected revolutionary. He'll cause a stir. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of causing conflict. Secondly, 
he is a redeemer of all nations. And so Christ followers welcome all ethnicities. We get excited about them, and that's what's so fun about doing life here in Natomas. Thirdly, this Jesus and upcoming is a reference to what's happening in Cambodia, parents. This Jesus was a healer of the humble. He was a healer of the humble. Whereas we personally like order and uh, ease, Jesus embraced messy. (laughs) Jesus embraced messy. Jesus was willing to deal with a mess. Uh, I thank my wife for her willingness to do that in my life. Uh, Jesus was willing to embrace messy. And the challenge here is for Christ followers is we are to be distributors of his compassion. Jesus said this on many occasions, I desire mercy or compassion, not religion. What I value is taking care of humanity. And some of you I know have been going through tough seasons in your life from a health standpoint. We've been praying for you daily. And my hope is that not only does God heal you, but you become an incredible compassionate towards others. Because that's the blessing of receiving God's comfort is you become a comforter. That's what the script, what we learn about when we're comforted with God's comfort, then we become comforters. What we learn about Jesus is in the midst of chaos in Jerusalem, Jesus is all about people, especially kids, canes, and crutches. People with leprosy that were unclean and shouldn't have been in the temple area or shouldn't have been around others, they're running up to him just to touch him. Have you ever seen a leper? It's still an active disease. There are people with leprosy, interestingly, uh, it's been discovered even in Florida. If you're considering moving there, that may be a heads up. <laughs> but it's, it's fascinating, actually, a degenerative nerve uh, disease. Our missionaries in India work with leprous colonies all the time. And what an awful disability to feel that. And yet with Jesus, people felt so comfortable to come up to him, just touch him for healing. Which begs this question, are people comfortable coming up to you for comfort? Do you make yourself accessible? Or are you the type of person that kind of avoids the high-maintenance people? You see a high-maintenance one at the water well at office, you're like, I can skip a drink, you know, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get water later on. Do you find yourself avoiding? You see someone in the parking lot, you're like, that's a 10-minute conversation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the other direction. Jesus welcomed kids, canes, and crutches. He welcomed lepers. He welcomed the blind. The blind. To offer them healing. And and or assistance. He welcomed uh, those with disabilities. Because he knew that there's a day coming when they're going to run like an athlete in heaven. He welcomed them all. And he welcomed kids. He welcomed children. I, I just asked this question, when's the last time you opened your home to a young couple with kids that hadn't had a date in 10 years? Not 10, it's probably not been that long, nine. <laughs> when's the last time you said, hey, you know what, I, I want to just be there for you, bring your kids over, go out, have a, spend some time together, I want to be with your kids. Kids are work, I, I always find myself kind of seeing kids and thinking, ah, I so miss having kids in my home. Then I'm like, oh, wait, that was a lot of work. Melissa did most of it. (laughs) We respect you. 
for all the hard work you do with kids. It, it is, my wife was telling me the other day, she, we were talking about raising kids, and she said, raising kids is the hardest job on the planet. Uh, she said, it's easier to be a CEO, I could do all that, but raising kids, that's the hardest job right there. I'm like, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I would imagine it was for you. <laughs> yeah. Jesus was a healer of the humble. Are people comfortable coming to you for compassion? I hope whatever season you're going through, the net result is that you become someone that's extremely compassionate. There's, there's nothing like compassion because it's, it's the law of mercy. It's the perfect law that Jesus' brother James talked about. It's loving your neighbor so much that you, you, it, it hurts. That's a great place to be. You just love them. Jesus was a healer of the humble. Now, I'm going to show you a video clip. Let me just introduce it. This is a friend that got introduced or got uh, connected to ABC. Uh, this is my former boss. You're going to see on TV. I reported to him for six years, Don Brewster. When I was on staff at Adventure of Roseville, he did something crazy 15 years ago. He left Roseville and went to Cambodia to fight sex trafficking. And uh, he's an incredible guy. His right-hand uh, director is in our church, um, Julie Harold, who helped me start Adventure of Natomas. Uh, help us start Adventure in Thomas. And uh, anyways, they ABC caught up with them and their work in Cambodia to rescue girls. I think their goal this year is 300. It's an incredible ministry. This video was posted in the last week um, as it was featured on ABC. So as, as I share this with you, it's a celebration of the wins they're having. Adventure, as well as Bayside, has helped sponsor and finance not only the operations of these ministries, but also, no exaggeration, the armaments for the SWAT team that they've actually created under the police authority to go rescue girls. Check this out. On a night like this, filled with prayer and light, we're having a blast tonight. It's easy to forget Cambodia's dark past. A civilization almost destroyed by civil war and genocide. Experts say it was out of that brutal and lawless period that prostitution and child trafficking began to flourish. Officials say the problem is getting better. Prostitution is now illegal, but Don Brewster says it's still rampant, operating out of massage parlors, bars, karaoke lounges. The front is that you go in and you're going to sing songs, right? They'll bring in 20 to 30 girls, and if you like them, then you negotiate sex. And just out of sight, in certain back rooms, there are still underage girls being sold and abused, just as Soka was. I got beat a lot and hit a lot, and not allowed to talk to another people. What about the police, though? This is so obvious what it is. There's good police that aren't fully equipped. And then there's a segment of the police. This is how they make their money protecting these places. So two years ago, Don and Bridget took matters into their own hands, creating their own brothel raiding SWAT team, working alongside the Cambodian National Police for what they said is a higher cause. If you look at what uh, Christ said, right, he, he told us to go into the worst possible places. SWAT effort is Eric Meldrum. We anticipate there will be between six and eight victims in there. A former UK police officer. My job is to get the intelligence of where the kids are being sold. Ten years ago, undercovers like these 
went into the brothel where Soka was held captive, posing as John's. I heard my friends say that one guy come in and drinks and just play with the girl. Rescue her. Today, Nightline is going inside a raid to rescue other underage girls and take down an alleged sex trafficker known as the Mama Son. Mama Son is the main person in charge, the main trafficker who's the one who's running the brothel. For a brothel. This massage parlor, which they say is actually a front for a brothel. And there's at least one minor that's there. When they give the signal that it's time to go, they'll call us. After weeks of planning, the raid is a go. Isn't that great? The work that, the positive work that's going on. Here's the deal. I mean, you, you hear about that stuff. God calls us to prayerfully do something. And he did. You know that uh, Bayside uh, generated uh, all the finances. This is a large church in Granite Bay. Fully financed, completely arming the SWAT team that can go in and rescue girls. $250,000 to help make that happen. And churches like us and other churches, they've said, hey, uh, we want to get behind financially. In fact, we have a worker who just returned, a graduate of Pleasant Grove High School, who just returned in the last month, uh, Cheyenne Ledbetter, in her early 20s, who's on a little sabbatical, who's given her first two years of her uh, post-college education to go there and help train the girls in soap, development soap uh, manufacturing so that they can make some money. Uh, to me, this is what it's all about, a willingness to not just be, be compassionate, but to do something. And it doesn't have to be the dramatic like this. This is, it, this is high, high, high value. But I heard a story this week. I heard a story this week from a teacher from Adventure who teaches at Taylor Street Elementary off Norwood. That's a tough... Uh, community, a, a Title I school, high percentage of poverty, 75 students, according to the district, that are defined as homeless, and homeless in our school district means bouncing around from house to house. And I overheard this week that a teacher has opened up his classroom f- and offered a, f- a clothing closet so that children can come in who don't have clothing or have dilapidated shoes, that they can get what they need. And they're working with Compassion 365, which we have a great team that does that. And I heard this story that a young boy came in uh, in the last two weeks and said uh, to one of our teachers at Adventure, hey, my shoe, my shoe. And he lifted up his shoe and it, it had a, it, it, it was the whole, the whole uh, sole of the shoe was completely in disrepair and he tried to glue it so it would stick together. And he went through the clothing closet and they couldn't find a pair of shoes for him. And they're looking to get one. Uh, so it's what we're doing here locally is hugely important. Uh, God's desire for all of us is to be people of mercy that unleash compassion on others. That there's no haves and have-nots. That, that we're all trying to care for each other. Finally, Jesus, the unexpected revolutionary, the redeemer of all nations, the healer of the humble, finally ends by saying, I'm a destroyer of mountains. I'm a destroyer of mountains. Check this out. In Jerusalem, where Jesus is spending now his second day, it's Monday in the narrative. 
there is a mountain nearby. It's an artificial mountain. It was built by Herod the Great from 23 to 15, uh, 23 AD, excuse me, BC to 15 AD. And it's the mountain called Herodian. Now, Herod the Great is known for a couple things. He's known for being a total narcissist. He's known for being uh, an architect that built incredible things. And he's known for being under five foot tall and he drove a big dually pickup truck. For some reason, he needed to compensate for his height. But he, he built this artificial hill called Herodian that literally is higher in elevation than the city of Jerusalem or where Jesus was retreating in the evening at Bethany. It was an artificial hill. He built before Christ was born. He actually, it was actually finished after Christ was born, after he died. We know they both, he died shortly after Christ was born in 4 BC. But this hill of Herodian, after Israel was sacked in the first century by the Roman Caesar Nero, they buried this palace. This palace and this hill became so so out of sight that it wasn't excavated. That is Herod's palace, where Herod was literally buried. It wasn't excavated until 1972. Almost 2,000 years pass, and no one even knows anything about it. Here's the point. When Jesus says he's going to remove something that's threatening. When Jesus says he's going to topple a government or topple up a political idea or remove a ruler, he means business. But it's not, this is not just political and international. This is personal. See, we have things we care about on a political level or on an international level. But I say to you that Jesus is actually way more concerned about our personal lives and the fruit in our lives. Check out, check out what he says here. Early in the next morning, it's Monday, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did this fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. I don't know, but as a kid, I do recall maybe praying a prayer, God, I don't want you to throw that mountain, but would you just move it? I'd like to see you do something. It never happened to my knowledge. I think what Jesus is talking about here are a couple things that are mountainous for people. One can be international threats to the safety of people. Can you imagine being a Hebrew in the first century and always seeing Herod the Great's palace above in elevation, the most holy place on earth, the city of Jerusalem, which is still the most contested five acres of land on the planet. (laughs) Can you imagine always seeing that and always feeling like, yeah, our God's great, but wow, that guy is a threat to me. And sometimes, for us personally, it's not a political person that's a threat. Sometimes it's a, it's, it's a person. Sometimes we can feel like we're really under siege personally because of a, uh, a relationship, um, maybe uh, whatever that's going on in your life. 
And what I want to suggest is that Jesus is most concerned about in our lives is what's going on here, our character. I think the biggest mountain is whether or not we're producing fruit right here from our lives. Jesus goes to this fig tree in the morning, and he says, you're not going to produce fruit anymore. The fig tree withers. It's a metaphor for what he's about to do to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not going to be, is not going to be the thriving uh, center of Hebrew faith anymore. By 70 AD, Nero is going to sack Jerusalem. The walls will never be rebuilt again, at least up until today. They haven't been. Jesus is trying to say, hey, if you're just kind of posturing, if you find yourself just kind of on the sidelines, just watching Christianity go by, this is a note to you. I want you to grow in Christ's likeness. I want you to grow in those things that don't seem like a big deal, like controlling your anger, like being more patient. I'll say that word again for myself. Like being more self-controlled, like being a better example, like loving your spouse, like respecting authority, like the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. I want to see you grow there because that actually, that's your mountain. In my, in my late 40s, I have reasoned to myself, sometimes the biggest mountain for me is, can I grow in endurance? Sometimes the biggest mountain for me is, gosh, can I, be, can I grow in, in patience? Can I grow in self-control? Can I get better? Am I the only one? Do any of you think like that? Oh, great. Thank you. Even if that was just, you were just being nice to me. I appreciate it. Sometimes the biggest mountain we need destroyed is the barrier we have for character. And what I want to just suggest as we kind of come to a close here today is that our nature is to lose heart. And Jesus is saying, I want you to completely trust me. Completely. (laughs) Bink. Uh, staples button. That was easy. (laughs) It's not. It's hard. I want you to completely trust me. And this is how I kind of think it starts. It's with a prayer. That's what Jesus teaches. He says, if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer, if it's according to God's will. How about this prayer? God, today I'm willing to let you be yourself with me. That's the prayer I, wanna, I want you to consider related to whatever you're going through. God, I'm willing to let you be yourself with me. I'm willing to let your son Jesus be himself with me. And that may seem a little, a little uh, distant from where you're at right now, but check this out. As I mentioned earlier, the teaching of Jesus is that Christ died for our sins on that cross as a substitutionary death so that no act of of Um, good works earns my way to heaven that's already been finished and done on the cross but it goes beyond there jesus died was buried and resurrected from the dead and the power that rose him up now lives in me and that power is called the holy spirit or the spirit of jesus and my willingness to say god i'm willing to let jesus be himself with me means i'm willing to follow the spirit every day and trust him does that describe some area in your life Is there an area in your life where you need to follow more instead of just looking for your felt needs? Is there an area in your life where you need to 
grow wider and have some folks over at your house and give others access to God that maybe you haven't? Is there an area in your life where you need to unleash compassion on others when you've been avoiding them? Is there a mountain in your life that you need to completely trust God with that's overwhelming? If so, I challenge you today, let Jesus be himself with you and pray that prayer here in just a moment. I'm gonna lead you in it, and if you're comfortable with it, you can pray it right from where you're seated. Uh, And let's see what he does today. Before we pray it, I can tell you, some of you will pray it maybe for the first time. I can tell you one way we're gonna, we're challenging the congregation on Easter Sunday is to do what the early church did. After you became a Christian, the early church, they were baptized. Uh, They were dunked. (laughs) We we put you underwater. We put a water tank out there in the lobby after services, and we give you a chance to identify your life with Jesus. Because the, the Jesus taught that just as I was buried in a tomb and raised into newness of life, I want you to be buried in water and raised and be public about your faith. If you've never done that, why not? Why not uh, on Easter Sunday? Let us know on your card and you might say, well, I don't look good in a bathing suit. That's okay. We've got robes. We'll cover it. We understand that. I understand that. Or I don't want to get wet. Well, you need to get over that. Or uh, whatever, or that sounds too religious. Here's the deal. Jesus did it. He did it. He didn't really need to either. He, he, he was pretty good. He's perfect. So what would hold you back from saying, yeah, Jesus, I'm willing to let you be yourself with me. I'll be dunked. All right, let's go to him and let's just pray that prayer together if you're comfortable with it. Heavenly Father, Thanks for just a moment to remember your son, the revolutionary, your son, the healer of the humble, your son, the the redeemer of all nations, welcomes all people, and your son, the destroyer of mountains. Wow, we've got mountains in our lives. And uh, we just, as a, as a group of, of no perfect people, just want to acknowledge our willingness to follow you by praying this prayer. We're willing to... God, uh, today we're willing to let Jesus be himself with us. And if that's your prayer, just pray it right from where you're seated. God, today I'm willing to let Jesus be himself with me. Based on my...